hope you all had a good week uh god is with us in the midst of all that's happening in our life around us god is still in control he's seated on the throne so we can always uh look to god with confidence and the hope that god has a future for each one of us uh before we go to the book may I request pastor prem to lead us uh in the time of prayer let's pray father we thank you for this beautiful day we thank you for helping us to come to revelation chapter 3 study today Our lord we thank you that uh, you are a god a father who wants to reveal yourself amen father you don't want to hide yourself you want to reveal yourself and everyone who searches for you will find you that's what the bible says when we search for you with all our heart lord this uh, evening we pray that you open our understanding open our hearts as we seek to know you lord god master we pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us oh god none of us will try to lord uh, learn uh, a lot about the book of revelation for the sake of knowledge lord it will lead us beyond knowledge to you father my master allow to have a personal relationship with you Amen. a better relationship a, a divine relationship with god master dedicated one so that we could be a blessing in this world we thank you for this time we pray that you would anoint pastor and let your wisdom rest upon him as he teaches us in the name of jesus we pray amen, amen. thank you pastor thank you pastor uh today we'll be seeing the sixth letter uh as as usual whenever you have a question you can use the chat box and when you find the question on the slides you can answer that the more we interact better it will be for each one of us it will be a blessing to all of us uh, don't hesitate to write your answers don't worry about right or wrong we are not here to see whether it's right or wrong we just want to know what you think about a particular verse uh today we will be seeing the sixth letter the letter that's addressed to the church in philadelphia we find in revelation chapter 3 from verses 7 to 13 now philadelphia was about 35 miles southeast of sardis uh the city has been founded in the 2nd century bc by attalus 2 philadelphos that was the name of the king attalus 2 philadelphos and he was one of the kings of pergamum and he founded this city <clears throat> now the greek word the the meaning for the greek word philadelphos is one who loves his brother uh, that's why his name is attalus 2 philadelphos and the history says he loved his brother humanus to such an extent people were amazed and uh, he was called philadelphos the king was called philadelphos and the city was named after him as philadelphia <clears throat> the ancient historian strabo he says this city as a as a city full of earthquakes uh earth tremors were frequent in philadelphia uh, in fact many people from this place they left to as uh, to safer places because of frequent uh, tremors the severe earthquake that happened in sardis in the year ad 17 it totally devastated this philadelphia but they took assistance from the emperor and they rebuilt it so by 90s uh, this was a well developed city the city had been rebuilt and there was a small congregation of christian believers in philadelphia uh, the church in philadelphia was very different from the church in sardis uh, this church was a very small church a poor church and harassed both by pagan citizens and by the local synagogue they had to face enmity from both sides despite that the members of this church had not strayed away had not left the way uh, they stuck to their faith so that's why in this letter we find one of the more the uh, almost unqualified commendation 
there is no condemnation in this letter. There is unqualified commendation. So let's go to the letter. Uh, Revelation 3, 7 says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now, what is the difference in the way Christ is introducing himself here in this letter and the previous five letters? This is the sixth letter that we are seeing. And what is the difference in the way Christ is introducing himself in this particular letter? You can type out your answers in the chat box. Is there any answer, Pastor Prem? Not yet, Pastor. Yeah. Somebody wants to try? In this letter, he is not representing the qualities what we have seen in chapter 1. Yeah, right. So in this, thank you. In this particular letter, uh, he is not... Uh, Though he's reflecting his character as such, but in the previous five letters, the descriptions were taken from the vision uh, that is recorded in chapter one, which we have seen from verses 12 to 17. So all the five letters, uh, some part of the vision was taken to introduce, uh, to introduce Christ. But in this particular letter, this introduction is not based upon the vision. Rather, it says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Uh, who is holy? God alone is holy. In the Old Testament, we know that very well. So Christ is attributing uh, himself the deity of God. He is the deity of God. He is holy and true. And here we find that what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts no one can open. Where do we find this verse? Any answers, Pastor? Somebody, 22, Isaiah 22, 22. Perfectly right. Isaiah 22, 22. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And whatever shuts, no one can open. Now, whoever holds the key, he is the master of the house. He has access to the entire house. So, <clears throat> uh, so here, Christ is saying that he is the one who holds the key to the house of uh, David. In other words, he is the descendant of David, and he holds that authority. So what he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Uh, in this particular co congregation, they were being um, badly treated by the Jewish people who said, you are not true Israel. We are the true Israel. And they probably they were excommunicated from their synagogue. So here God is giving them the assurance. Now, though you have been expelled from the Jewish community, uh, do not worry. <clears throat> now, I am the one who holds the key and I acknowledge you as my own people. That's the way God is, uh, Christ is introducing himself to the church in Philadelphia, encouraging them, assuring them and motivating them. In Revelation 3.8, it says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. <clears throat> now, for what all things the church in Philadelphia is commended for? We saw this is a small congregation, but there is only commendation and there is no condemnation. So for what all things the church in Philadelphia is commended for? Faithful church, faithfulness. Okay, faithfulness. Thank you. What else? Uh, Chris has written deeds. Deeds, okay. 
Anybody else? Thank you. Okay, the church is being commended for three things. One, the Philadelphia church was small in numbers. I know that you have little strength. I know you're a small church. You know, you, you are very few, little in number. And we know Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Number is not a measure of uh, Christ's approval. Uh, we always tend to think that number is the, uh, is the measure of Christ's approval. But at least in the, in the book of Revelation, we see that this is a small church and that is being commended. Christ is appreciating them. You are small in numbers. Despite your, though you are small in number, I can see the spiritual for power that flowed in your midst. It is not about how big or small. It's all about the power of the spirit that's available to the community. Uh, so God is, uh, Christ is commending this church in Philadelphia. The second uh, commendation is, you have kept my word. You have kept my word. By obedience, they kept Christ's word. So that is the second commendation. And the third one is, uh, they have not denied his name. So this church is being commended for three specific things. They were small in numbers, but spiritual power flowed amongst them. And then by obedience, they kept Christ's word and they have not denied his name. Now, what does the open door stand for? What does the open door stand for? We always hear this word, what he opens, nobody can shut. So here, what does the open door stand for? Evangelism. Evangelism, thank you. Uh, the opening formula is, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And I know your deeds in other cases, there were uh, condemnation, criticism. But in this case, immediately after that, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. Uh, open door is always a technical expression for an opportunity for spreading the gospel. This is a small church undergoing persecution. But God is telling, though you're small, uh, though your persecution will be minimized, I will maximize the opportunity for you to evangelize. That's what he's telling in this, to this particular church. Now, from where do we say this open door means evangelism? Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.12, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. It's all in terms of evangelism. In Colossians 4.3 he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The church in Philadelphia, without doubt, though it was a small church, had a great missionary task to perform. It does not matter how big or small the church is. It is, if Christ is pleased with us, he always gives us a missionary task. That should be glorious to all the members of the church. We should not be um, fearful just because we are few in numbers. How can we do this? When Christ opens the door, nobody can shut it. Are you encouraged? You don't have to. You know, it's not that you have to have thousand people in a church to do effective evangelism. 
effective evangelism can be done by 10 people, provided Christ is with us, the power of Christ is with us, and he moves us, he takes us, he opens the door. When he opens the door, nobody can shut the door. Now in Revelation 3.9, it says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, the synagogue of Satan, we have seen earlier also. So why was the synagogue at Philadelphia criticized? Why was the synagogue at Philadelphia criticized? They were liars. They were liars, yes. Yes. Thank you, Pastor. Anything, anybody else? Some Jews were spreading lies. Somebody else. Yes. Uh, now, there was a Jewish pop wrong teaching so yeah there was jewish population of the city uh, when uh, christ says i will make those who are of the synagogue of satan uh, basically these jewish christians were badly treated by other jews they were saying that you are false we are the true israel though you are not true israel they were they were you know there were false complaints against them and they were excommunicated but remember, this rebuke is not in general against Jews. It is only against those who mistreated uh, the Jewish Christians. Uh, the synagogue at Philadelphia was criticized not for being Jewish, but for being hostile to Christians. And because they were opposed to Christians, that is the reason why they were being criticized, why, why the synagogue is being criticized, because they've excommunicated some of the Jewish Christians who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. The moment they said Jesus as the Messiah, then the problem started for them. So Christ is telling, don't worry, don't worry. Now, I will recognize you. You know, what, what will happen? They will come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. What a great, uh, you know, encouragement. You know, they will acknowledge that I have loved you. If we don't give up on Christ, Christ will ensure that those who oppose us, those who persecute us, they will acknowledge that I have loved you. Now we are going to the next verse. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, We can say safely, we can safely say that the phrase, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, does not mean entire escape from suffering. Now, before we uh, answer this question, uh, I, I, I want to just uh, share my thoughts uh, on the commonly held belief that there is going to be a rapture. Uh, how many of you believe that there will be a rapture? The church will be raptured. How many of you? Good, good. How many of you? Okay, okay. How many? You can just uh, say yes, no in the chat box uh, and we can make out. Yeah, yeah. You can. One, two, three. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 
Okay. How many of you think that there will be no rapture? Let's put it that way. No one so far. Yeah. Uh, so the commonly held belief is there's going to be a rapture. That's what uh, I, I could make out. All of us believe that there'll be a rapture and the church will be raptured. That's what we believe. But uh, let me just share my thoughts. Uh, this, is a, this is strong biblical theology based on uh, good New Testament scholars. And if you read the history, for the first 18 centuries, people did not believe in rapture. Rapture is not a word that's found in the Bible. Of course, you can also tell the word Trinity is not there. So I'm not getting into that, but the word rapture is not in the Bible. Now for the first 18 centuries, uh, no one believed that there will be a rapture and the church will be caught, caught in the midair and all that. In the year 1820 or so, there was a young girl in Scotland who had a dream. And in a dream, she saw that two people in the car, one is being taken up, one is being left. She had this kind of dream and she was sharing this dream. And there was a pastor by name Darby. Darby was so uh, taken with this dream, he started propagating this idea that two will be there, one will be caught in the air and all that. But his uh, teaching didn't take much roots in UK as such. But when, when he went to America, he got in touch with D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody also liked this idea that two will be there, one will be taken up and the other will be left. And then they started popularizing. I think by 1920 or so, Dallas Theological Seminary, if you read the history, the, the president of that college and several other professors, they all uh, started provocating about this rapture that the church will be taken, church will be protected from uh, the tribulation. And they started writing books. There were several books that they wrote and they started popularizing in 1920 or so uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary. Then came movies. Movies came and made it so popular that one will be taken up and one will be uh, left. And um, this is the way the rapture theology came into existence. Now, if you can turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 24, because this is the passage uh, they normally quote. Uh, I will read it for you. Matthew chapter 24 from verses 36. Matthew 24 from verses 24, uh, 36 onwards. Uh, listen to this passage carefully and then you can make your own conclusions. But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the son of man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Uh, we always, when we read the Bible, we say uh, a text without context is a pretext. So if you refer to this context carefully, for in the days, verse 38, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, 
marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Took them all away. In fact, in this particular passage, those who were left, it was only Noah and his family. Those who were, those who were uh, taken away were those wicked people. So it is, it is people who are left behind are being commended rather than taken. Uh, I know it's going to be a struggle because all through the years we have heard sermons, we have heard forwards, we have seen books, movies, as I told you. So it's going to be a little difficult. Now let's go to Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. Now Revelation chapter 21, then from verse 1 onwards, I'll read, I'll read from 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be with his, they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, if you see the verse, uh, if you see the second verse, it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. In other words, uh, how, the, how the Bible portrays us, God is going to come down and meet his people and live with him. It is almost like John 1.14. He came and dwelt amongst us. So it is, it, is, it is heaven coming down. Now, if you read the entire New Testament, when Christ appears, three things must happen when Christ appears. First, when Christ appears, once for all the sin will be eradicated or destroyed. That's the first thing. The sin will, you read the scripture carefully, all the New Testament passages. Christ is not a powerless God. When he comes, he is coming as a glorious thing. He is going to destroy everything. Uh, the sin will be destroyed. The second thing that should happen is uh, there must be a, uh, the corruption of the nature must end. The nature is groaning. That will end when Christ comes. Uh, the third thing that must happen is there must be no longer death. Death will come to an end when Christ comes. This is, this is what the New Testament, uh, the scripture teaches us when Christ comes. So yeah, yeah, rapture theology is something which came after 1820. Before 1820, there was no rapture theology. So from the scripture, of course, you can read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then you can talk about rapture, uh, but uh, your rapture theology itself, it's very difficult to support from the scripture passages. Now I know this is what we have been believing because the pictures, are the cinemas are popularized, the movies are popularized, two people in the car, one being taken away, one being left, and people in the church, four are taken out and one is left behind, this is all very interesting, but we need to see whether there's any scriptural evidence for that. Heaven comes down. Jesus will come down. The new Jerusalem will come down. And he will rule over this earth thereafter forever and ever. He is not a powerless king to come twice. He comes once and he will rule. So this is my thoughts about uh, this Rapture it is not only the rapture 
that's a problem. You know, if you believe in rapture, then first of all, you have to ask whether it is going to be a pre-tribulation, whether it is going to be a mid-tribulation, whether it is going to be a post-tribulation. I'm not telling you to accept what I have said, but any good New Testament scholar who is well-versed with Greek and the scriptures, if you listen to them, you will understand. Uh, rapture as such, it's very difficult to defend from the Bible. Uh, I, I'm not going to take more questions on this. We will continue to keep this in the background. Whatever you believe, I'm not saying you give up. I'm not saying that. Uh, this is a thought I've just given. Uh, keep this in the background of the mind. And now you answer this question. We can safely say that the phrase, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial, does not mean entire escape from suffering. How? Any answers, Pastor Prem? No, Pastor. Okay. Now, uh, the verse clearly says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, the phrase, the inhabitant of the earth, uh, is also used elsewhere in the book of Revelation to refer to the enemies of the church the inhabitants of the earth. Uh, but the revelation contrasts the wicked as the inhabitants of the earth with the righteous as the inhabitants of the heaven. That's the way the book contrasts. Uh, this is the first indication about a general visitation that we find in the book of Revelation till now. This is the first time we are coming across this general visitation, uh, which will be clearly dealt with or it will be portrayed um, in the successive series of judgment visions, which we will see from chapter six onwards. Uh, it is not easy to determine, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, whether it is keep you from undergoing the trial or keep you throughout the trial. Uh, but definitely, um, the promise I will also keep you from the hour of trial is not an escape from trial. Uh, that's very clear from this passage because when you come to verse 12 in chapter 3, verse 12 it says, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple. One, the one who is victorious, one who has gone through the struggles one who has gone through the suffering, the one who is, so this, this letter itself, in this, from this letter itself, we can clearly make out that Christ is not going to insulate them or isolate them from the suffering. Rather, he will be with them in the midst of their suffering and they'll be able to endure it and they will remain faithful till the end. So the one who is victorious. So that's why we say, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Uh, many of the books will take the other uh, uh, interpretation, saying that you will not undergo trial. The church will be just raptured. It will be, you know, it will be caught up in the midair. Uh, the language they say you will caught up in the midair. Uh, if you read it carefully, what uh, does it signify? In fact, Christ coming down, you know, the heaven coming down, is basically it's portraying like Moses after receiving the Ten Commandments. He came from Mount Sinai. You will caught up in the mid-air. It is like a royal king when he returns to the city. Now, when the people of the city, when they come to know the king is returning, they will not sit in, in the city. They will go out of the city gate to meet the king and to welcome him. Uh, that's the that's the general practice custom. The moment they say king is coming, the announcement is made. Everyone from the city, or at least those who have been designated as the welcome committee or whatever, they'll go out to receive the king. Now, when they go and receive the king, what will happen? 
they will become part of that entourage and they will return to the city along with the king. So it is like Christ coming, his people will go and receive him and Christ is coming to this earth and they will become part of his entourage. Uh, that's how the New Testament says. Uh, you don't have to change your belief. I've just given you a thought. You can continue to work on it because for years we have heard sermons, we have seen movies, we have seen forwards. One is caught up, one is left. But if you look it from the, if you look at it from Noah's experience, it is those who are taken away by the flood. You know, those who are left behind was Noah and his family. Uh, that is the analogy we get from the passage. Now we'll go to Revelation 11. I am coming soon. Hold on what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, anyone who succeeds in a race, uh, who overcomes, uh, who, who is known for a military exploits, who, he overruns the enemy, they will get a crown. So the, the Christ says, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Uh, Revelation 3.12, the one who's victorious, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them a new, my new name. Uh, new Jerusalem is only coming down out of heaven. God is going to dwell amongst his people. Now, the one who is victorious, you know, this promise is to the individual members of the church. It is not the church as such, the individual members who had uh, remained faithful till the end, uh, this reward is promised. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. What is this pillar? Uh, Exodus 24.4 says, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Now in Galatians 2.9, we have this verse, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, Gami and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, when they recognize the grace given to me. Now, pillar here represents the people of God. Uh, we also use this word pillar. You know, when somebody who has done so much good to the community, and if he passes away, we say that he was like a pillar to this community. You know, just that's the word we also use in the present day. Uh, present day. Now, why do we say the idea of making the victor a pillar in God's temple is purely symbolic? Why do we say that? Because the verse says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, why do we say it is purely symbolic? Now, any answers, Pastor Prem? No, Pastor. Okay, now why do we say it is purely symbolic is, if we read this book carefully, if we come to uh, towards the end of this book, in, in Revelation chapter 21, 22, uh, it's clearly mentioned, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, when we read these apocalyptic visions, uh, we, we should not be uh, so particular. This vision is not matching with this vision. Uh, 
John is not in the slightest concerned to keep the details of one vision consistent uh, with those of another vision. He is not concerned. Uh, the apocalyptic imagery is always very fluid. Yeah. Now, in this particular place, he wants to emphasize on something. So he is bringing uh, the word temple. But when you come towards the end, he says, there is no need for a temple because God himself will be, will be dwelling amongst his people. That's why we say, why the idea of making the victor a pillar in God's temple is purely symbolic. We should not think there will be a temple and uh, I will be one pillar, he will be another pillar. That's not the idea. Basic idea is to say that whoever is going to be faithful, they will be long lasting like a pillar in the temple. Pillar is, 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 pillar is the one which holds the uh, structure. So like a pillar and pillar is very important in the temple because anything they want to engrave, they will engrave it on the pillar. Even today we see that you want to write a person's important name, contribution, uh, you write it on the, you engrave it on the pillar. So basically Jesus is telling that you will be like a pillar. You will be like a pillar. Uh, you know, your place is earthquake prone. You know, many pillars have been lost, but when I make you a pillar, you will stand forever. Your base will be strong. You will not be moved from its base. Don't think people can just move you from. When I come, when I make you a pillar, nobody can move you from your base. Now, I will give you a new name uh, and all that. That comes from Isaiah chapter 56, 5. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Um, now, Jewish community has rejected them. But God is telling, Christ is telling them, you are the true Israel. I am going to give you a place. I am going to make a pillar. Because in God's house, you will be a pillar and I will give you a new name. Revelation 21.2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Heaven is the place where God's rule remains unchallenged, but the earth is the place where people continue to disobey until the day of judgment. After that, there'll be only obedience. Uh, Revelation always portrays God's throne room in heaven as a temple, the book of Revelation. And then the final verse, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now we go to the next letter, the letter to the church in Laodicea. This is the last letter uh, we find from verses 14 to 22. This church is about 100 miles east from Ephesus and from Philadelphia, it's about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia, the last church. If a messenger has started from Ephesus, you'd have gone to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and this will be his last church. Now, this city was founded uh, about the middle of the third century BC by Antiochus II of Syria. And he named this city um, in honor of his wife, Laodice, and that's why it's known as Laodicea. Now, Laodicea is one of the richest commercial centers. You know, a severe earthquake devastated, destroyed the city in AD 61. But this city was so rich and independent, they refused to take assistance from the king. They, from the, they said, we don't want any financial assistance from the Roman government. And out of their own resources, they rebuilt the city. 
and uh, it was a highly developed city. The city was known, well known for its textile products, uh, especially for wool. They say it was ra ra raven black in color. Uh, they said that that was the specialty of the city. And the city was also a well-known medical center. And it was famous for I uh, survey that they exported far and wide. Uh, so the city was quite famous. Now, Zeus was the city's patron deity. And Laodiceans uh, also had temples for several other deities. Apollo, Asclepius, we have already seen. God of Healing, Hades, Hera, Athena, Serapis, Dionysius, and several other deities. So you can imagine the city, what kind of city it was. Now, probably Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae, uh, these all form a cluster of cities that Paul evangelized in the 60s. Maybe Paul did not come personally to these places, maybe through his contact, maybe Ephaphras, uh, he, uh, he evangelized the city. But in Colossians uh, 4.15, he says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So that's what he mentions in Colossians 4.15. So Paul knew what was happening in these places. But by 90s, though there was an earthquake in AD 61, by 90s, the spiritual condition of the church has deteriorated very badly. The decline of the church may be due to the fact uh, the material wealth of its members increased. In fact, the city prospered. The material wealth of, wealth of the members also uh, increased, and that resulted in extravagant lifestyle. And as a result, this church receives the severest condemnation of the seven churches. You now we can say God has prospered them, God has blessed them, but the material wealth has taken them away from God. And this is the church which receives the severest condemnation uh, of all the seven churches. Revelation 3.14 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. When we read the word Amen, it is not that after we say a prayer, we say Amen. That's not uh, means here. Here he is qualifying it, the faithful, uh, a faithful and true witness. Uh, you know, Amen is what we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, because Christ is the perfect Amen. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And he is the ruler of God's creation. He existed before the creation of the world. He is going to give a stern message, and he's introducing uh, himself. Christ is introducing himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. That's how he's introducing himself. Revelation 3, 15, 16, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Deeds always reveal people's true spiritual state. Deeds always reveal people's true spiritual state, how we spend our time, how we spend our talents, how we spend our treasures, reveal our true spiritual state. Neither hot nor cold. These are the people who, are, who, who thought they can follow the emperor also, they can follow the church also. So they were neither hot nor cold. You know, God says it is better either you follow me or you don't follow me. But this middle path, I will follow a little bit of church, a little bit of the world. I don't like it. I'm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In fact, uh, in New King James Version, it says, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. 
you know, some churches make the Lord weep. Some churches make him angry, but the Laodicean church made him sick. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Little bit in the world, little bit in the church, Jesus is telling, I will just vomit you out. Basically, these are Christians. No one is harder to reach for Christ than a false Christian. No one is harder to reach for Christ than a false Christian. You know, then in Revelation 3.17, it says, uh, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What do you understand by poor, blind, and naked? You know, these this people were very rich, so they had material sufficiency, and they thought we don't need anything. They were very proud. And they had some kind of, I don't need anything. So God calls them as wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, now, if you see the Laodicean city as such, it was a commercial city known for its banking. And uh, it was also known for its medicine. And it was also known for textiles. But here people are poor, blind, naked. Now, here it's an irony. Uh, we'll go to the next verse and I will try to follow that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your face so you can see. Now, this question and the earlier question are the same. Christ's threefold appeal played on the three features that the city of Laodicea was most noted for. What are they? I told you they are a very, very rich city. But Jesus is calling them, you are poor. And they were known for, you know, the, the, for their um, medicine. But Christ is saying you are blind. Because especially for the eye salve, they exported to other places. Christ is calling them blind. They were known for their textile manufacturing and Christ calls them naked. Instead, Christ is calling them, come, buy from me gold refined in the fire. I will make you rich. Come and buy gold from me, not what the world gives. White clothes to wear, you are naked. I will give you white clothes to wear, and I will give you salve to put on your eyes so you can see. In other words, Christ is telling you are spiritually so poor. Please come to me. And you receive from me the gifts I have for you. So Laodicea was proud of its wealth, wool industry, and production of eye salve. Christ offered them spiritual gold, spiritual clothes, and spiritual sight. And then comes the verse, so be earnest and repent. Can you name two churches which were not called to repent? Here in Laodicean church, Christ calls them to repent. But can you name two churches which are not called to repent? Uh, there were, okay, what's the answer, Pastor Prime? One is Philadelphia. Yes. Another one. Another one is Smyrna. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the two churches where you don't find this word repent. Uh, now, Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, this is a church which is a dead church. And see the tender heart of God. He still says, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Christ is longing for intimacy. Um, in, in the Near East, having meals with somebody shows the intimate relationship you share with them. So Christ is saying, come 
in my kingdom there is a banquet why don't you come and join me why don't you open the door uh, this is the profound picture of grace and free will i will not open the door it is your choice the free will is yours but i will always be gracious i invite you to come and join my banquet and have fellowship with me so 321 to the one who is victorious i'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as i was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne in other words if you are ready to give up your self indulgence self confidence and self satisfaction i will give you the right to sit with me on my throne that's the greatest uh, blessing a christian can look forward that god gives us a place to sit with him on his throne you find in luke 22 28 i confer on you a kingdom and in second timothy 212 if we endure we will also reign with him uh, it's it's a kind of royal honor that god uh, christ promises his people and revelation 322 whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to the churches now what is so significant about this concluding formula we have seen the concluding formula is the same in all the seven letters what is so significant about this concluding formula there is hope still for the people yeah okay yes pastor yes what else this is the same uh, concluding formula in all the letters but here i am we didn't see that so we are seeing here now all these letters were written to the individual church this is a letter to laodicean church whoever has ears let them hear what spirit says to the churches so the message to each church is at the same time a message to all the churches it is not only to that particular church but it is a message to all the churches including the 21st century churches now seven churches are provide examples of the kind of things that can go wrong in any church uh, in ephesus the danger of losing the love that one had at first in smyrna the fear of suffering in pergamum the doctrinal compromise in thyatira moral compromise uh, in sardis spiritual deadness philadelphia failure to hold fast and laodicea lukewarmness now this can affect any of our churches so i have completed the letters to the churches uh, so these are the lessons we learn from all these churches uh, danger of losing the love that one had at first fear of suffering doctrinal compromise moral compromise spiritual deadness failure to hold fast and lukewarmness i'm sure you all have interesting questions um, you can ask your questions now pastor pastor silvanas has asked um, pastor silvanas has asked um, about eye salve that's there it's a kind of powder they apply over the eyes it's a medicine for eye sickness uh, infection it's a kind of powder that place was famous for that so can i had a point pastor yeah uh, uh you know for everyone you see um we are so conditioned by what we have heard from small in the movies or you know in magazines and books and uh, you know sunday school and we think that is the one for example in the book of matthew we read about uh, the magi three magi is coming the three wise men uh, we there is nothing mentioned the three wise men is mentioned there but we say three wise men and we sing a song also and uh, then we also see uh, we see jesus as a baby 
in the in the in the manger and the cattle shed and then we see them coming and offering actually when you read it it's actually jesus not a baby when the wise men came he is much uh, no bigger so we find uh, this kind of uh, problem in our understanding because we have been tuned from small we have heard uh, even some famous preachers and famous uh, uh, you know movies and uh, books uh, writing about the second coming uh, so we have to be very careful and as uh, you know dr jacob cherin always tells we have to see the text very carefully i remember a a, a, a bible college uh, person a professor was an elderly man uh, he asked me a question and i answered him he was so upset he looked at my face and he told me you pastors don't know the bible okay he said look at the text what it says and answer me from the text don't answer what you learn from your sunday school so that was a big eye opener to me so i wanted to uh, tell all of us that uh, we have to really see the text uh, very carefully to understand what it says and compare with other texts not go by books or movies or you know uh, or cartoons that we see that's that's one point i wanted to add when it comes to revelation especially we have to be careful thank you pastor pastor about the letter to the church in laodicea uh verse 15 says i know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot i wish you were either if we interpret it just as uh that you being neither hot your nor cold means that little of world and little of church how can it say i wish you were either like how can it be like that you better be of the world or you better be of the church you know yeah don't pretend in other words uh, don't be a nominal christian mm. that you are neither here nor there it says i wish you were either one or the other mm. either you are hot or you are the other but in the middle path mm. is something that's what he says neither hot or cold i am about to spit you out but This shouldn't it say i wish you were hot or like why would it say i wish you were of the world or of the church i wish you were of the church no yeah that's a good point but it's not there <laughs> <laughs> so i was just wondering yeah it's good you all remain hot uh, <laughs> probably because the water they were getting if you read the story yeah, about yeah. that uh, their their water was neither hot nor cold mm. by the time it came it was a lukewarm water so they were looking for cold water hmm. and sometimes they were looking for hot water where hmm. they had hot springs in the nearby place hmm. so it is in that context it says neither hot nor cold you know oh. when people receive that warm water they when they wanted to drink cold water they they said at least this water if it's cold hmm. and if they want to have a bath they want to have a hot water so it is in that context it comes as neither hot nor cold okay now laodicean is the only church which has earned an adjective in the english dictionary uh, in the american heritage dictionary when you use the word laodicean means it is indifferent mm -hmm. it is lukewarm when you just use the word laodicean uh, it is known as lukewarm i think it's in that context okay thank you pastor thank you so there is a question from catherine not one question uh three why jesus is holding the key of david why is new jerusalem coming down out of heaven why is little in numbers a commendation you will answer pastor <laughs> uh uh yeah. i would answer the the final why little in number Okay, okay. I'll answer the first two, then you answer the third. I'll start okay. from down, and uh, uh, the reason is um, he's not bothered about numbers. You know, I think we the uh, we the uh, people are bothered about numbers. Uh, God is not bothered about numbers. God is God um, uh, bothered about faithful people. So even though they are a small number and uh, who are faithful, uh, he was happy. But at the same time, he found uh, that. Um, uh you know uh, he was uh, he he was uh, actually commending for their for their faithfulness even though they were small in number let me put it that way okay the first question uh, while he was holding the keys of david i told you this uh, the synagogue 
they were excommunicating the Jewish Christians. Uh, so Jesus is telling, I am the one who is holding the key of David. I am the descendant of David. I am the Messiah. I have the authority. You know, you will be my people. That's an, uh, that's an encouragement to the Jewish Christians that he is the one who holds the key, the key of David. Uh, what's the second question, Pastor? It says, why is New Jerusalem coming out of heaven? Yeah. And even Pastor Sylvanus has asked, what does the Jerusalem coming from heaven represent? Okay, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll be coming to Re Revelation chapter 21 and all. It's basically, it's God coming down. Uh, what is John 1, 14? Uh, he came and dwelt amongst his people. Now that's what is going to happen in the second coming. God will come and dwell among his people. Uh, he is going to come down and dwell uh, with his people. So he is coming down. Instead of we are being caught up in the midair, the Bible clearly says the new Jerusalem will come down. Any more questions, Pastor? That's all. No, nothing, Pastor. Shall we all say this as our closing prayer? Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom, to be priests, to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the unfailing love of our heavenly Father and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. God bless you all.